I want to tell you this morning why I uh, believe so much in um, the power of the local church. Did you know I was saved by the local church? And I don't mean in the terms of the fact that my sins were forgiven and I was given a, um, I was given a position in heaven. What I mean is that um, uh, if it wasn't for the local church, I would have done things in my life... <laughs> that I wouldn't have wanted people to know about. <laughs> I would have done things that would have um, affected my children, uh, that would have, I dare even say, had a profound effect on my grandchildren. I would have um, undermined my future, robbed my destiny, and God only knows where I'll be today if it wasn't for the power of the local church. I am passionate about the local church and do anything I can to build it up and strengthen it, be it this local church or for that matter, any local church anywhere. All I can say this morning is all the flannel graphs, all of the youth camps, and we're going to be praying for our um, youth pastors this week, uh, brother, Pastor Brett and his lovely wife, Amy, taking over a hundred teenagers uh, up the mountain down the uh, hinterland of the, of the Gold Coast, all of the youth camps, uh, all of the sermons, all of the, all of the potluck dinners, all of the community, all of, the, all, all of those meetings made a difference in my life. I don't know where I would be today if it wasn't for the church. Um, oh, well, I pro- probably do because I'm, uh, I would have just followed the herd. I can tell you now, I would have just gone along the pathway with most others of, you know, uh, of the population. Um, but, but here's what the church taught me. The church taught me that I had a purpose. The church taught me that uh, I had a destiny, that I wasn't just a result of time and chance. I wasn't just mutated slime, you know. There wasn't just uh, uh, you know, a whole bunch of, of unrelated events that caused my, caused my coming about. That I was here because God had ordained and God had planned me. My brother told me I was an accident. My father was 52 when I was born. I wasn't planned, you know. Uh, my, my family may have told me that I was an accident, but God told me that I was planned and created. And I have to say that uh, I'm so thankful that I had a voice speaking into my life that I wasn't just some bit of random matter. Steve Hawkins, the doctor Stephen Hawkins, who many of you no doubt would have heard of, um, written a book called uh, The Theory of Everything, was, was noted in a movie by the same title, says this. He says, Terror strikes my mind when I consider that we've arrived on the scene because of evolution and because of natural selection. Why does terror fill your mind, Dr. Hawkins? a very smart guy. Why is he overwhelmed with grief? He goes on and says this. Natural selection assumes natural rejection, which means we've arrived here because of our aggression. (laughs) I'm here because I have pushed out everybody else. In fact, Stephen Hawkins, the the, uh, world-renowned theoretical uh, scientist, goes on to suggest the only hope for mankind is that we break up, 
start inhabiting other planets in our solar system or we're going to blow ourselves to smithereens. So thankful for his encouragement. (laughs) But I wasn't taught that. I was taught what the Apostle Paul said, that we are in God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God had prepared in advance for us to do, that my life meant something, that it wasn't just survival of the fittest, but it was life to the fullest. I was taught that I was born in the right place in the right time, not as a result of the rejection of others, but as a result of the creation of the God of the universe. That adds value to a person's life. Where else is that message propagated in our society outside of the local church? I was informed, my conscience was informed. I was taught that you had to teach, treat young ladies as sisters and not as objects of lust. That I was accountable to my heavenly father for the way I treated everybody. And that you don't just get away with stuff. You know, that, that a moment's pleasure may bring with it a lifetime of payment. I saw people who hang on to bitternesses and it's kind of like drinking poison, hoping the other person would die. I've seen all kinds of war stories and, 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 and I was taught that you have to let it go. You have to forgive. And it's not just the sermons that I heard. I mean, I don't know whether you've ever sort of heard a message and thought to yourself, wow, I wish I'd have heard that when I was a teenager. Well, I probably did. But it it wasn't just the messages that that I heard. It it was the fact that I was in a community. It was the fact that I I had accountability. It was the fact that I I had a sense of belonging that kept me going down a certain pathway. See, the church provides the strongest argument on the planet for the dignity of the individual. That we are created in the image of God. The noted author and atheist, Christopher Hitchens, some of you no doubt would have heard of him, uh, wrote a book as he was dying of cancer. It's called Mortality. Fascinating read by a complete and utter atheist, intelligent guy. But this is what he says. The doctors would come to him and say, your body isn't reacting. Your body is closing down. And in the end, Hitchens says, Stop referring to my body as if it's something other than me. I am a body. I don't have a body. And if you think about it, if you're an atheist, and if you buy into the idea of evolution, then there's no other choice. All you are is the biological makeup of your physical body. And so... I don't know where you get the idea that I can be a male inside a female inside a male body or vice versa because you're nothing but a body. Your theology demands it. But I was taught something different. Philip Yancey says in his book, Loose in the World, those who condemn the church because of its blind spots do so by gospel principles, arguing for the very moral values that the gospel teaches. Did you know? that in the ancient world, things like compassion were not considered virtues. See, today, we take the virtue of compassion as a statement of of either or. You know, virtue and compassion, same thing. But if you go back to the days of the Roman Empire, 
If they found a city or a nation that was down on its luck, you know, a natural disaster or whatever, the whole idea of sending foreign aid was never even contemplated. If they found a weaker nation, they didn't help it back on its feet. They took it over. (laughs) That was the process. The whole idea of compassion as a virtue, as something to be esteemed or to rise to, did not even exist before Jesus Christ. I I would challenge anybody in this room to try to find a non-profit organization or acts of mercy prior to Jesus. But Jesus enters the world And his teachings, his message informs the conscience of humanity and changes the world in which we live in. We treat people with dignity and respect. We treat women as individuals and not as possessions. We send little girls to school with our little boys and see no reason not to. Not something that has always existed in the history of man. I believe in the local church because the local church informed my conscience. (laughs) Something that wouldn't have come naturally, I have to tell you. The local church gave me a, a sense of destiny, a sense of purpose. But it gave me something else that my peers missed out on. It gave me a view of the world that others could not really have comprehended. You see, whilst my neighbors and my schoolmates, you know, they saw the world through a secular news or through their own prisms, I was given a broader view. I learned something at a very young age that if this idea could seep into the minds of the social conscience of our our nation, the stock market would probably crash overnight, businesses would, would, would uh, probably hit the wall. And it's this. It's that people with less stuff have more faith and more joy. <laughs> How many young people get that message? You can go to places on the planet where people have no, no toys to play with but a ball, no, no sort of great concept about going on a whole race to the coast, yet they seem to have more joy and more faith than other young people who supposedly have it all. Where else do you get that kind of view of the world? See, the church taught me from the very youngest age, in fact, from about the age of 12, uh, so I said over 40 years ago, the church taught me that I was to take every, or every cent I earned and I was to give a percentage of it away. And it's something that I've practiced all my entire life. In fact, I don't think I've ever earned a dollar that I can think of that I haven't taken a tenth of and given that away since I was about the age of 12. And the thing is, you can teach that to a 12-year-old and they kind of just take it on board and go, okay, much harder to teach that to a 40-year-old or to a 50-year-old who's struggling to pay their bills and is under all kinds of financial dilemma. As a matter of fact, the Courier-Mail said just last week that something like 75% of, of, uh, of the population is under financial stress. Well, I've got the answer for them, right? Give 10, save 10, and live on the rest. Start that when you're 15, and you'll have no financial stress for your entire life. <laughs> as simple as that. But where do you get that message from? Who tells you that? See, I was taught that in the local church when I was merely 
and adolescence. We today have all kinds of, uh, of uh, masquerades of greed. You know, we call it stewardship. We call it frugality. When it's really people just holding back and hanging on to themselves, people are scared that someone's going to take their money, and then they waste it completely on themselves. Generosity, folks, is an invitation uh, to start to invite God into your finances, start to invite God into the physical outlook of your future. And I don't know where you get that message outside of the local church. I'm so thankful that I've had God involved in the financial affairs of my life for my entire life. And you don't get that from anywhere else that I'm aware of, save the local church. What would the world be like? Think about it. What would your world be like if every member of the population of your world lived for a purpose higher than themselves, recognized that they had dignity, not mutated slime, but created in the image of God, had a perspective of generosity on the world? Who else propagates this? Save the local church. It's not just what it does for the individual. It's what the church does for the community. It's the difference that salt and light make upon the nation in which you and I live in. A fellow by the name of David Ackerman. Now, David Ackerman was the, um, uh, the head of the uh, Time Magazine's Bureau of Beijing. He's a bit of a, you know, he's a PhD in, in history. He's a bit of a big week. He's interviewed all kinds of people, Mother Teresa and others. Um, when he was in um, Beijing, he wrote a book called Jesus in Beijing. And he tells them an account, which is fascinating in, in, in the least, where uh, he had this interaction with these, these Maoists, these Chinese uh, government-appointed investigators who were given the assignment to try to figure out the success of the West so that China could emulate it because China wants to rule the world, surprise and shock. <laughs> and they recognized that the, uh, the, the rise of Western civilization. So they appointed these highly intelligent Maoist atheists to investigate what it was in the West that caused the West to so rise in the world. And this is what they said. We studied everything we could from historical to political to economic to cultural perspectives to try to understand Western do dominance. At first we thought it was because they had more powerful guns than we had. Simple kind of uh, answer, I suppose. Might is always right. And in the ancient world, that, that was the fact. If you had more guns and you had more dominance. We then thought it was because of your political system. Next, we focused on your economic system. But in the past 20 years, we have realized that the heart of your culture is your religion, Christianity. This is why the West is so powerful. We don't understand how much the local church has empowered our very society. These are atheistic Maoists that went to extensive studies that have come up with the same conclusion. See, we think, oh, the reason why Australia is such a great place is because we have a resources boom or we have the, the sheep's back or, you know, we grew, up, we grew to where we are on the back of the, uh, the Merino wall or whatever. 
They went on and said, the Christian moral foundation of your social and cultural life was what made possible the emergence of capitalism than the successful transition to, democ to democratic politics. We don't have any doubt about this whatsoever, they happened to say. They went on to say, studies in rural areas of China where traveling, traveling evangelists have influenced the opinion of our people. Addictions to opium have gone down, families stay together, and their incomes rise. So this is the findings, not of some right-wing Christian sort of, you know, group think, study uh, tank. This is the findings of Maoists, atheists in China, according to Jesus in Beijing, Dr. David Ackerman. Check it out for yourself if you find it difficult to believe. Why am I so committed to the local church? Not for what it does for individuals, not just for what it does for individuals like me. Not, not just for what it the effect that it has upon the community like ours, but for its unrivaled, unqualified ability to do good in the society where it is placed. Rick Warren points this out. I find this quite remarkable. He says, the church provides for the largest participation. Now, most people have no idea how many Christians there are in the world, but they believe it to be something like two billion about a third of the world's population, or almost twice the population of China. We are, without doubt, the largest participatory organization on the planet. We are larger than any nation. We're almost one-third of the planet, folks. The church provides for the widest distribution. I have visited into the far-flung villages in the country India, and I've seen places, they have no school, <laughs> they have no post office, they have no government agencies whatsoever, <laughs> they have a few huts, a couple of cows, and a church. The widest capacity for distribution of any organization on the planet. The church provides for the longest continuation. The church has existed on the planet for nearly 2,000 years. <laughs> We are part of something that started nearly 2,000 years ago. Despots have tried to destroy us. Corruption from the inside has nearly torn us apart. But we are still here and we are growing and we are stronger than we've ever been in history. The church provides for the highest motivation. Why do people do what they do? Some people do what they do so that they can you know, get a better name for themselves. Others do what they do so they might help their fellow men. Some people do what they do so they can manipulate others. We do what we do out of love for the Lord Jesus Christ. The highest motivation on the planet, love for God himself. The church provides for the strongest authorization. By whose authority do we function? Jesus said, I'm sending you, go into all the world and make disciples out of all men. We are here not by the agreement of council. We are here not by a resolution of members. We are here by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The church provides for the simplest administration. Did you know that? The church is organized in such a way that we can release people and networks with a fraction of the bureaucracy of government, 
or for that matter, even non-government organizations. Whilst I was reading this week how the churches in, um, where, uh, in Texas that have had that terrible flooded cyclones and what have you, they haven't got to set up. They're already there. They've become on-the-spot distribution centers uh, for aid. We provide for the simplest and the straightest commun- uh, administration. Um, who else can do what we're going to do next Saturday when we're going to go down and add value to our community at the park? Down in, uh, down in Collingwood Park there. Uh, we're going to um, um, be involved in a renovation of a park, planting and painting and these kind of things. And if you haven't signed up, I encourage you to sign up today. Get a little, little uh, flyer that will tell you what you have to bring and you can go for the morning next Saturday or the afternoon. Those of us who follow the AFL will be going in the morning, but those of you who follow the NRL can go in the afternoon. And... Uh, because your grand final is not there the next day. But no doubt you'll be um, taping it because I believe it's on at the same time as church and I know what's more important to you. Uh, that's why I'm preaching this message right now, to bring conviction right to you, you see. <laughs> Paul writes this to, to the church in Ephesus. He says, after all, no one ever has hated their own body, but they feed, they care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. And for this reason, a man will leave his mother and father and be united to his wife, and the two become one flesh. This, he explains, is a profound mystery. How you have a male and a female coming together and the two become one flesh, this is a profound mystery. He says, but I'm not talking about marriage, he says. I'm talking about Christ and the church. The profound mystery that holds the church and Jesus together as one. He is the head and we are the body. He is the author and the finisher. I've got to tell you, there's, there's one really big idea that I want us to think about this morning. One idea that governments just can't make happen. What do governments do? The role of a government is to make laws. Right, They present bills to the lower house. And then if it gets through, has the numbers in the lower house, it makes its way to the upper house. And then the Senate debate it and so on and so forth. If it makes it through the Senate, it's signed off by the Governor General and it becomes a law in this nation. That's what governments do. What is law? Law tells you what the lowest form of behavior is before you pay a price. That's what laws are. Laws are the lowest form of behavior. They, they, they put a line in the sand. They say, you cross that line. You've gone too far. They focus us on the lowest common denominator. That's what law is about. That's what governments do. But what they don't do, folks, is inspire people. What does the media do? The media is all about salaciousness. It's all about ratings. The media aren't interested in, in showing you a debate where people agree. It's all about division. Uh, it's all about some kind of conflict. The media won't inspire you. I mean, you know, you're not going to watch The Bachelorette and be inspired. <laughs> you're not going to watch Survivor and be inspired. <laughs> Who, who inspires people to behave in, 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 in the, the top, in the utmost manner? 
the, the word, the message that Jesus brought to our society when he said, love your neighbor as yourself. Who tells us to do that? The government can't pass a law like that. The media aren't interested in, in communicating a message like that. Where does that message lie? Imagine a world where people loved others, respected others as they loved and respected themselves. If we had a community that even was slightly uh, resembling that kind of an idea, what would we have? Folks, we'd have police whose job was merely to direct traffic and we'd have judges that, had to try, that would have to try to redirect their careers. If this one little phrase became the phrase that directed your behavior, that directed your response, what does love require? When you don't know what to do, when you're in the, the, the valley of indecision, when you've got all these options, what do I do? Which way do I go? How do I handle this? What's, what's the right thing to say? You ask yourself the question, what does love require? And you respond on the basis of love. There's not another group on this planet that carries this message. That's why this nation requires a strong and vibrant, epivescent, powerful church like never before. The message of dignity of the individual, of compassion to our fellow man, of a generosity of hope and of a future, uh, a generosity of heart and of a future of hope is the domain of the church. We are a city on a hill. And the thing about a city on a hill, it casts light for miles in every direction. But nobody is a city on their own. The term city carries with it the influence of a corporate, a gathering, a number. No individual can be a city. We collectively are a city. We corporately are a city. We are so much more powerful together than we will ever be on our own. As we gather together behind a singular vision, as we gather together behind a, a one idea and say, this is what reflects us. The message of Jesus Christ. I, I know there are people here this morning and I know that you felt, you know, let down and hurt and offended. And that will happen. It won't just happen in the church. <laughs> Happens more so, I think, in the church because it's, it's such an emotive thing. People's faith is very dear to their heart. And because you're dealing with that, it's, the church, by definition, becomes a quite um, emotive place. There's a lot of emotion around things. People get rusted on the things and rusted on the ideas. And when those things go or things change, there, there, there is a reaction. Or when my expectations are not met, my experience is here, my expectation is there. I, I can fill that gap with a bit of disappointment. I can fill that gap with anger. I can fill that gap with suspicion. But, but I, I need you to know today, folks, no matter what your experience has been, your individual experience is inferior to the ultimate purpose that Jesus Christ has birthed the church in the world for. 
And what we have to do at some point or other in our walk, at some point or another in our, um, in our uh, devotional uh, uh, pathway with God as we develop, is that we have to get over ourselves, folks. We just have to recognize that this just isn't about me, that there is something more significant going on here, that we're taking 110 kids away to a camp this, this week who were told, who were taught at school, you're nothing but mutated slime, who were taught at school, really, it's all about number one because there's nothing else matters outside of you you are just a body you don't have an eternal aspect to your dimension you don't have a soul you're all there is is it any wonder that that we are dealing with such a an epidemic of depression and darkness in, in the generation of our young people because hope has been taken from them but we have an op- opportunity this week to, to not just speak a message of hope but bring an experience of hope. That's why this is so much more important than just a bunch of teenagers going away for a few days, folks. That's why those of us who who have been in the way a little bit longer, maybe we should put a day aside to fasting about them and maybe we should put a day aside to just seeking God over this because this could change a kid's life. Not just change a kid's life, change a family's life. Not just change a family's life, change a community as a result. We've got no idea the implications of moments like this. We need to give to it. We need to pray over it. We we, we need to believe God for it. Because we indeed are the embassy of heaven on the earth. This is not a time for us to shrink back in fear. This is not a time for us to think, oh, the sky is falling, it's all over, you know, uh, uh, will we make it to the end of the, will we make it to the end of the year? Or will we make it to the end of the decade? I've got to tell you, I believe when Jesus Christ returns, he's coming back for a triumphant church. I believe when Jesus Christ returns, he's going to find faith on the earth. He's going to find men and women who are standing up for righteous. He's going to find men and women who continue to believe. He's going to find men and women who refuse to be discouraged and downcast. He's going to find men and women of substance and this is the time this is yours and my time to rise though the church needs uh, the, the uh, society needs us they need the church not just isolated individual believers funny thing is you know um, I don't believe there's a country on the earth where it's illegal to be a Christian there are many countries on the earth where it's illegal for Christians to get together. <laughs> Think about that. Because there are powers that understand that if believers start gathering together, if they start getting together, there's a power released that can threaten us. If believers start getting together, there's a power released. If they start reading their Bibles, if they start taking steps of faith, there's a power released that's going to cause us some problems. And so they can it. They put a lid on it. They say it can't happen. I believe it was Jesus Christ who said, I will build my church. And I love the next phrase. And the gates of hell won't prevail against it. You know what the inference is in that that statement? They'll give it a jolly good go. (laughs) But don't think they're ever going to win. All right? There might be times when you feel under siege. There might be times when you think, oh no, you know, the sky is falling. You know, our time is, is this it? Where we, are we done? There might be times, but you need to know, I will build my church. 
is the promise that we have through Jesus Christ. And the privilege that we have is to join together with one another and with him in that process. Is to recognize we have a calling. We have an objective. We have an opportunity to look beyond ourselves, to get over any disappointment that we might have with an individual, to get over any disappointment we might have with a, a, an organization or with a leader or, or, or whatever, uh, maybe our disappointments with God. To put that to one side. To say the overall thrust of what we are about is huge. The overall capacity of what we are about is so much larger than I could have ever imagined or dreamed. I want us to stand together, church, if the musicians would join me. We're going to just take a moment to just pray. I'm going to, I want us to just pray over the, this youth camp this week. I know I've spoken about that, but that's not, that's not the main thought. That's not the main thrust of the message. What I want you to know this morning is that we are invincible together through Jesus Christ. And this is the hour for the church in this nation. But we're going to just lay hands on bread. Some of our guys in the front just come here. I'm going to lead us in prayer. We're going to pray for this this morning. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for the incredible privilege that we have this week of over 100 teenagers that come under the, the sound of hope. For 100 teenagers to hear a message that they are created in the image of God, that they are not here by a biological quirk of fate, but that they are here because they have been created, because they have been destined and designed. Father God, I pray for each one of those young people this week. Lord God, their life may never again be the same. Lord, those kids that don't come from Christian homes, Lord, those kids that are from the schools or wherever, Lord God, who maybe have very little concept in their heart of, of kingdom values and kingdom reality, Lord, I just pray this week, Lord, not just for our uh, preacher, not our amazing preacher, Lord, who, who is coming to be uh, amongst us, but Lord God, I just pray this morning over not just our leader, Lord, over the leadership team, Lord God, but over every Christian young kid that's there, Lord God, that, they, that, that those that are not part of your kingdom, Father, just get that sense of belonging, Lord, that sense of hope, Lord, that, that, that sense of, uh, of excitement about something other than just what this world momentarily has to offer. Father God, we commit this to you this morning. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Just where heads are bent and eyes are closed, and we're just in this attitude of prayer. I'd love to just pray for you this morning. If, if you've just been feeling disenfranchised a little bit, and you're feeling like, oh, I'm not sure I belong. I'm not sure that, you know, I'm part of it. I've got to tell you this morning, that God has purpose for you to be in this house for this time. And Satan has purposed the exact opposite. He who's planted in the house of the Lord will prosper. God's desire is that you be planted in his house for, for so many, many, many different reasons. But if, if, if that's you this morning, I, I'm going to just, just pray over your life and pray over your uh, experience this morning. I believe God for a miracle there. If you want me to include you in that prayer? Just, just give me a quick wave. Just as I, I'm about to pray and we're going to uh, move on in our service. God bless you. God bless you. Father God, you see those hands that have been raised here this morning. Father God, Lord, I pray that we, we would all be able to draw together, Lord God. Lord, I pray that we'd all be able to... Uh, 
Lord, overlook, Father God, uh, maybe our uh, preferred options in terms of philosophical belief or dress standard or whatever it might happen to be. Lord, I pray that no way would a a view in this church get in the way of a you. (laughs) Lord God, we might have different views. But Lord God, I pray that uh, we would see the individual uh, dignity of Christ respected in each person. Father God, we thank you for this uh, in Jesus' name. I'm going to just pray. While we're just praying for different different ones, I'm going to pray. Pa- Paul is with us now. Uh, Paul is back just for, for health reasons for now. We're just going to lift Paula up. So maybe, Lynn, you're just right there. We're going to just pray for Paula this morning. Father God, we thank you for the incredible seed that Paul has sown, Lord, in the Philippines in this last season, Father God. Now, Lord, we just speak to the health, Lord, of her body, Father God. And as, uh, Lord, that gets uh, ministered to and looked at, Lord, in this, these next few weeks. Father God, I just pray. I speak whole wholeness and health and healing, Father God. God over her body and heart in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for that uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I encourage you? One more thing before I, I, I uh, give to the guys and we sing. Can I encourage you tonight? Um, Pastor Josh Brett pastors the largest church in Adelaide, and uh, they've just had their state conference, of which he was a, a part of that last week, and he's flying up here. He's preaching i think that he's on his way uh, up here in a couple of hours whatever he'll be here this afternoon and uh, he's he's doing our youth camp which i think is a, a bit of a coup brother uh he, he's an outstanding preacher and uh, he's going to be here tonight now very few of in this room if you're from adelaide you've possibly heard of him but very few others probably haven't so i really encourage you it'd be great to come out tonight and just give some encouragement um to uh to um uh, not just to our uh, visiting preacher, but also to uh, to the youth and to the youth camp. Well, I'm going to pray for that again tonight, and, and I'd love you to come and just be part of that. And I'd love to just send these young people off. We're going to try to get as many of them here tonight as we can. And I'd love to just send them off on, on this youth camp, uh, just under the anointing of, of God and under the prayers of the saints. So if that at all sort of go, you go, Oh, gee, that's important. Because that is more important. So important. I really would uh, value you to be in this place tonight as we do that. And let's send these young people off. And let's just believe God for miracles to take place in their heart this week. So, uh, you know, I need as many centuries on the post tonight as I can get as we pray and break barriers and believe for great miracles. Love you to be part of that. Amen. We're going to sing together. Thanks, guys. Yeah. 